So we're wrapping up this kind of mini-series today uh, during the season of Eastertide, that uh, continued celebration of the resurrection following Easter that's simply called Alive. And what we've done this year is uh, kind of begin with the resurrection story from John chapter 20 and then work our way through the end of the Gospel of John as John tells different stories in a masterful storytelling kind of way uh, that highlight the life of Jesus and what that means for us. And so uh, today we're going to step into the last portion of that. I want to give a huge thank you to Brian Wade for stepping in last week so well and uh, covering the first part of John chapter 21. And so tonight, today, uh, we're going to wrap up the back end of John chapter 21. I want to say up front that this is a message and a passage that's only applicable to a certain kind of person. And so if you're not that kind of person, you have permission to just chill out during this time. You're going to have about a half hour to play games on your phone or whatever you need to do. It's like no, no big deal. Uh, the only kind of person that this message is applicable for are people who have not followed Jesus perfectly. So if you followed Jesus perfectly, you're good. Um, but if you haven't, if there's some point in your life that you look back on with some level of regret, then this is a really important story for you. I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I also say with a deep reality, there are many of us that are captured by stuff that is way back in our past, stuff that we regret very deeply. And uh, there are lots of points of hope through the scriptures for people like us. But this is maybe the, the, the pinnacle, kind of the mountaintop story for that. And so if you come that way, this is a really important story for you. Let me just set the scene for you before you hear the word this morning. Uh, last week, we read Jesus having already appeared to the disciples multiple times, first to the, uh, the ten, uh, and then to Thomas again with the, uh, with the ten. Uh, he shows up on the shore as Peter has determined it's time to go fishing. So they're out fishing all night. Um, they're not catching anything. There's this man on the shore. They don't know who it is. He says, throw your net over to the other side. Exasperated, they do what he says, even though he has no idea what he's talking about. And they have this massive catch of 153 fish. Peter is dense, but not that dense, right? So he figures out, oh, that must be Jesus, I think. And so he hops off the boat, swims to shore. Uh, Jesus already has a fire going and has breakfast with them. There's this uh, kind of sweet moment where Jesus is having bread and fish with all of the disciples as they're sitting around. It's that breakfast meeting, and particularly the after-breakfast conversation, that's the heart of what we want to look at today. And so I want to ask you to, as best you can, uh, imagine that scene with all of your senses. There's a fire, a charcoal fire on the ground, and you can smell it, and the smoke is coming into your nose and into your eyes, probably following uh, you from place to place, right? That's the way uh, campfires work. Uh, the, the smoke is coming at you. The fish has just been grilled and eaten, and there's a, a sense of satisfaction having just been with Jesus, a comfort having been with Jesus. So picture that fire, picture that smoke, picture that scene on the edge of the sea, and now listen as Justin comes to read for us the second half of John chapter 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, 
feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. These he said to show by what kind of death he was, going, he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple from whom Jesus loved following them, the one who was also the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the word, its, world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, as we look at this very full story with so much intricacy and beauty, would you help us to hear your word to us this morning? That we would hear the heart of the Father reaching out to us as broken people in need of grace, just as you reached out to Peter in need of grace. And so God, speak to us, open our ears and our hearts. I pray that you would guard my words, that they would come from you alone, that the words that come from my flesh would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but the words that come from your spirit would remain, that you would empower your words this morning to land in our hearts, to pierce our hearts, just as they did to Peter, that we would be more like you. And so, God, do this work, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So, there is a triple question in the middle of the story, and the context of Jesus' triple question to Peter is Peter's triple denial Many of you know the story, but let me just give you a brief recap. Uh, this is one of the very few stories that are found in all four of the Gospels. Uh, Peter, as Jesus was approaching the cross, was told by Jesus that he would deny him three times, that Peter would deny Jesus three times. And Peter's response to that was, absolutely not, Lord. I, I, even if everybody else denies you, I will never deny you. And of course, if you know the story, as Jesus was progressing toward the cross, going through uh, the, the show trials that preceded the cross, Peter, one time after another, denied Jesus a first time, a second time. And as he denied him a third time, Jesus' eyes caught his across the courtyard. 
Peter's triple denial was known not just to all of the gospel writers, to all of those who were peers with Peter at the time, but Peter knew it was known by Jesus himself. That's the context of the story, and it's a necessary one because we have to feel the weight of it. There are so many of us who are immobilized by something that we did in that very same way, with metaphorically at least our eyes looking at Jesus and still having disobeyed, still having walked the other way. And maybe that was this week or maybe that was last month or maybe that was years and years ago, but for many of us, we're stuck in that place. This is a story of the way Jesus meets us. Because what happens to so many of us is that when we get immobilized, if we're able to continue in our relationship with Jesus at all, which many continue to push through, one of three things tends to happen. First, there tends to be a retreat, uh, kind of a, 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 I'm still connected, but I'm kind of hiding. I'm out of the, out of the spotlight. I'm, I'm stepping back from community. I'm stepping back from service. I'm stepping back from any kind of real tangible connection with the body, and instead I'm kind of hiding in the back corner. No offense to the back corner, people. I'm sure you're, you're lovely, but I'm kind of hiding away in the metaphorical back corner at, at the very least. I, I, I tend to recede and remain but stay back, hidden. That's one response. A second response is that out of this despair, we continue to serve, we continue to press in, but there's a, there's a level of what I would call a spiritual pessimism to the way that we approach life. We're critical of ourselves and others and the things that Jesus is not doing because that's how we see the world. And so we're still in and we're still involved, but there's this, this weight of it's not as it should be. And finally, there's a third response, maybe the most uh, prevalent response for those who remain connected to the scriptures. And that's what uh, theologian Gary Burge calls the Protestant penance, where we press in and we serve and we're all a part of everything that's going on. And to everybody else, it looks like everything's good, but in the back of our mind, we're constantly trying to make up for this brokenness that we have in the past that we feel like can never be cleaned off our record. We're serving and we're pushing, and we're trying. The common denominator with all three of those is that we're not experiencing the fullness of life that was promised by Jesus. That no matter, whether we're serving with, uh, with Protestant penance or we're hiding in the back corner or we live in this state of spiritual pessimism, we don't have the joy that Jesus was promised. That song that we sang as you came in, we were made to thrive. We're not living in that thrive. We're, we're at the very best keeping our head above water. And that's where Peter was. And so when Jesus encounters him in this story, it, it becomes a story of restoration, but it's not easy restoration. It's a, a difficult restoration. There's three different ways that we're going to look at the restoration this morning. The restoration that Jesus gives to Peter and gives to us is personal. It's also painful, but it's purposeful. So there's personal restoration, painful restoration, and purposeful restoration. So imagine the scene. Peter comes up out of the water, having swum to shore, 
And uh, as he approaches Jesus, this fire has already been created. Jesus made the fire. And as the smoke hits his eyes, there had to be a flashback for Peter. Because the last time that he was standing around a charcoal fire was John chapter 18. As Jesus was on his way to the cross, Peter stood around a fire, the smoke coming into his eyes, and he denied Jesus. There's only two times in the Gospel of John a charcoal fire is recorded, John chapter 18 and John chapter 21. That fire Jesus made, I believe, as a, uh, an experiential reminder to Peter of his brokenness so that restoration could begin. So Peter approaches Jesus at the fire, they eat together, and then after the meal, there's this conversation that starts to happen. So as you uh, read through this passage, there's a a uniqueness to the way Jesus addresses Peter. This is uh, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, John is letting us know exactly who he's talking to, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, that may not have been odd to anybody who was around because that was his name, Simon, son of John. That would have been a very typical way in the Near Eastern world to, uh, to approach Simon, which is his given name, who is the son of John. It would be very typical to say Simon, son of John. But it was not typical for Jesus. If you remember early in the, uh, the gospel accounts, in several different gospel accounts, as Peter is called to Jesus, Jesus immediately says, upon being introduced to him, this is Simon, son of John, and he immediately says, you shall be called Cephas, Peter, which means the rock. But now, as Peter, the rock, approaches Jesus, Jesus says, Simon, Son of John, why? Well, because Peter's been anything but solid. His immediate experience has been um, rocky in a very different sense of the word. What Jesus is saying to Peter and recalling to Peter in a way that maybe nobody else would have picked up on, but Peter knew in a way that often happens to us. When God speaks to us, nobody else might notice it, but we know. We hear the word, we hear a phrase, we have an interaction with someone, and they may have no idea what they're doing, but the Holy Spirit points it right out into our hearts. I believe that's what happened to Peter in that moment, where Peter heard, Peter, you're acting like somebody who doesn't know me. Remember, that's who you were. Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? There has been pages and pages of theological ink spilled over the identification of these. What what is it that Jesus is saying? Is he talking about the fishing nets and the fishing boats? Do you love me more than this stuff? Is he talking about the other disciples that are there? Do you love me more than these people? Or what I believe to be true is Jesus asking him, do you love me more than these other men love me? And you may think that's a weird question for Jesus to ask him. Why, why in the world would that be what he means? Do you love me more than these other people love me? Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter 26, you're gonna see Peter say with uh, the, the, all of the boldness and arrogance that we come to expect of Peter, 
if everyone else falls away, I'll never fall away. If they betray you, I'll never betray you. They, they say that they love you, I really love you. And here comes Jesus over a fire saying with his given name, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these guys do? There's this loving rebuke in the question that Jesus brings to Peter. Do you love me more than these? Peter's response, of course, is, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. I can't prove it. <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I, I can't go back to the recent history and show you based on my actions, but you know my heart. You know I love you. And Jesus' immediate response to the first question, feed my lambs. In this process of restoration, Jesus is inviting Peter back in to the work that he has for him. Frederick Dale Bruner, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, says this, when Jesus gives Peter, of all persons, the ministry of shepherding Jesus' flock, we are to learn that failure is once again the only human or subjective prerequisite for Jesus' very gracious gift of shepherding his people. And all the pastors said, amen. <laughs> this is a, a challenging reality that shows us that the only thing that qualifies us to really lead, care for the people of God is our failure. That's what invites Peter in, a knowledge, a humble knowledge that he has fallen short. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. The second time Jesus talks to him, there's no qualifier. There's no comparative. After he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you, um, feed my lambs, he says to him a second time, Simon, again, son of John, do you love me? And I think that question of love is an important one for us to wrestle with because recognize that Jesus all three times does not say to Peter, will you obey me now? Will you finally trust me? We sang that song, trust and obey. He doesn't say, do you trust me? Will you obey me? What's he say? Do you love me? I remember years ago, I was meditatively reading and journaling through this passage, and I got to this section, and it just, it, it hit me, like, uh, like, it stopped me dead in my tracks. As I'm writing, it just, like, stopped, and I recognized the invitation of Jesus is a love relationship. Early on in my spiritual journey, at the very, very beginning, I just about audibly heard Jesus ask me, will you follow me? And I said, yes. I had always committed to following him. Along the way, I had determined that I trusted him, that I was willing to submit to him, that I would obey him. But until that moment, as I was reading this passage, I'm not sure that it ever formulated in my mind that what I was being invited to was to love Peter is being invited to love Jesus and out of that love to obey Jesus, not the other way around. Obedience, when we uh, grit our teeth and press into the things that Jesus calls us to do, will not generate love, but love will always generate obedience. And so Jesus 
personally with Peter, is probing into his heart and telling him that he loves him and that he's inviting Peter to love him. But then he asks a third time. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. This is not just personal for Peter. This has become painful for Peter. The third time is a deep cut because it's probing into that specific denial of Peter. Peter's not dense. He knows with the fire burning in front of him and the way that Jesus is asking him the questions that he's reliving, that Jesus, that, that same Jesus who caught his eye across the courtyard is reliving that same thing again. And he says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter's hurt because he's coming back into that deep, raw spot of his life. And the same thing happens to us. When, when Jesus is seeking to restore us, he doesn't want to restore us two-thirds of the way. He doesn't want to restore us just a bit. He wants to get all the way in, but that all the way in is tough. It's hard. Repentance is not easy. And so when Jesus asks him a third time, Peter, uh, for, for all, of his, uh, all of his problems, and he has lots of them as we all do, Peter responds with grace and humility. Lord, I, I picture him pausing. Lord, you know. I can't prove it. My actions have not shown it. But I, 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 I plead the mercy of the court, as it were. You, you know. You know my heart. You know that I love you. And again, Jesus says, Feed my lambs. And then he says to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you. The last time that Jesus used that phrase with Peter was when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And so he uses that same phrase once again, truly, truly, I say to you, this is going to be a hard journey. <laughs> he says to Peter, your arms are going to be stretched out. That phrase in Greek, uh, Jesus likely spoke in Aramaic, but the phrase that John translates it in into Greek is a phrase that was used in uh, that time for crucifixion. It was a very clear signal to Peter that this was, a, this, this was what's going to happen. It was hard to follow me on Good Friday, Peter. It's going to get a lot harder. You know, it's interesting because when Jesus was denied by Peter, it was because Peter was afraid that he too would be crucified. And now Jesus, reinstating Peter, says to him, let, let there be no mistake, you didn't get out of it. Your denial didn't stop what's going to happen. What's going to happen is going to be really hard. And this is the grace of Jesus, reminding us that following him is not easy. Repentance, genuine repentance, is first about Jesus and not about us. So when Peter says, Lord, you know, I, I, I trust you, and then when Jesus says, this is what's going to happen, will you follow me? It's the command that he gives to Peter. Peter has laid down his own life. He, he doesn't want to do this. 
None of us want to do this. Nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know what I'd love to do today? Some tearful, heart-wrenching repentance. That would be really awesome. I, just, I hope that's what's in store for me today. Like nobody, nobody wants that. Nobody chases that. But when Jesus in grace meets us there, it's not about us or what we want. It's about him. It's about bringing our heart back around to where he is. And for those of us, again, this is a message only for certain people, for those of us who have fallen short of Jesus' ideal, if you fit into that category, that call to even painful repentance is grace because he's calling us out of the shadows back into the light. So Jesus says to Peter, follow me. And Peter, um, he'd been doing so well. Peter looks back and he sees John starting to follow as well. And we don't know exactly what that means. Were they walking and John was following him? Or did he just see John and sees like maybe Jesus' arms around John or something? We don't know exactly what happened. He's the disciple that Jesus loves. Who knows? Whatever. He looks back at John and he says, what about him? And I think this is a, a, a beautiful picture for us of what, for many, finally stops real restoration. And it's looking around at everybody else. Like, I'm not that bad. Like, look at them. What about them? What about that person? What about her? Like, come on. You, God, you don't have to like, hold me to such a high standard. Really? Like, you know how bad the world is? Like, that's the thing that you're concerned about? That's the thing that you're calling me to repent of? Come on. Jesus says to Peter, you follow me. Whatever else I decide to do with him, that's my business. Whatever, whatever he has to go through, that's my business. You follow me. There's this painful call back to Peter that says, I'm, I'm in the business of restoring you right now. John's fine. <laughs> I'll deal with him later. You follow me. This callback of Peter, this restoration, this threefold questioning, is a call to love that precedes obedience. Love first and then obedience. But love always sponsors obedience. And that's what we see in Peter. When Peter has asked this question three times, Jesus' response three times is not, rest in my grace. His response is not, don't worry, Peter, I'm going to forgive you, it's going to be okay. His response to Peter is, there's a purpose behind this restoration. I'm doing this for a reason. There's this phrase that gets used in Christianity a lot. There's a lot of phrases in Christianity that drive me nuts. I'm sure that's a shock to all of you. Um, but one of them that I would love to ban from Christian vocabulary is that phrase, trophy of grace. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. She's just a trophy of grace. He's just a trophy of grace. And, and I get what's being said. I think there, there is a beauty to saying that we each represent the grace of Jesus. But here's the problem. I have a trophy back in my office. It's from 2015. I had a middle school girls basketball team that I was coaching, and they were a ragtag bunch. I mean, they were, they had some stuff going on. I mean, middle school girls already, you know what, I'm, no offense to middle school girls, but you know, there's some stuff, you know, there's some stuff happening. They had some family things happening. There's a lot of stuff going on. 
And they, they had a, um, an average season, but they hit the playoffs and something happened. They just like hit their stride and they ended up winning the championship. It was, it was, incre- it was shocking to me. Uh, they beat, I, I was actually coaching two teams in the league at the time. That was a bad choice that I made. Um, and they actually beat the good team that I had because as the bad team. That, that, so they actually, I just sat in the middle and watched and like had ulcers. But anyway, this, this team, like just they pulled it all together and they win this championship that they had no business winning. I have this trophy sitting in the corner of my office and I have it there to remind me about that team. It's a great marker of the past. The trophy does absolutely nothing in the present or for the future. It's just a great reminder of the past. And when we say to one another, you're just a trophy of grace, Jesus did not say that to Peter. He didn't say, Peter, go ahead and sit up on the shelf and wait, because people need to walk by and observe how much grace I had towards you. No, what's he say? Peter, feed my sheep. I have work for you to do. I'm coming and restoring you for a purpose. Because you're going to be needed in this thing that's going to unfold. And he says the same thing to us. There's so many of us that are sitting back because of something. Because of an event that we participated in, that we jumped into by our decision, or something that happened to us, or something that's weighing us down, and we just feel the weight. It's just too much. And what Jesus is calling us into is a restoration that says, "I, I have a plan for you. Like, I'm going to use even this. Feed my sheep. You're not just a trophy sitting on the shelf. Feed my sheep. Gary Burge says this about the restoration of Peter in his commentary. The work of the church can only go forward when we are unburdened of our destructive memories through the gracious forgiveness of God. When this happens, we will be empowered and transformed and made ready to represent Jesus with a rejoicing heart. You see the two sides? Jesus comes and he does this restoration. So we have to be unburdened of our destructive memories, all of this weight, all of this stuff that we bring in. We have to be unburdened of that. But we also then need to be empowered and transformed and made ready to represent Jesus with a rejoicing heart. We were made to thrive. Not because we're perfect, but even in the midst of our failure, even those pointed, staring at Jesus failures, he's inviting us back into grace. Jesus longs to restore us personally. Come to us knowing our stories, knowing our history, knowing our stuff, and look us in the eyes and invite us back into grace personally. But we have to recognize that it will be painful. And it's not easy. That the process of truly repenting, of turning our hearts back to him, will hurt, just as it hurt Peter. There's a a giving up of self that has to happen if we're to follow him. But it's for a purpose. You're not saved to just gather on Sunday mornings and sing songs. The best of God for you is not that you would just sit in the corner and be a reminder of what he did at some point. You're invited into the fullness of life. 
and you're invited into the work that he's doing, just like Peter was. And so I want to give us an opportunity to enter into that. As I said, this isn't for everybody, because some of you maybe have followed Jesus really, really well. But for most of us, there's um, some gaps. There's some stuff. And because of that stuff, we need to, with the same kind of intentionality that Jesus approached Peter with, we need to be willing to open up our hearts and receive that inquiry from him, to be able to repent, to turn our hearts to him. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that's probably a little bit difficult. Um, It will at least require a bit of bravery for you. I'm going to ask you in just a second to set everything over to the side, and I'm going to ask you in the quiet of the moment this morning to allow the Holy Spirit to show you what's holding you back, to to point it out. And there's going to be some of you who are going to immediately kind of pull back from that, and you're not going to want to listen. And I get that. This is an invitation that's not just for this moment. You can do it this week. But, but I believe that God wants to point out to us those areas that are holding us back. And then he wants us to deal with them, not just r- remain in them, not just hide or, or, or live in that kind of spiritual pessimism that says it's just not quite what it could be or, or do that Protestant penance where we're just trying to earn it, to get back and clear that mark off of our record. He invites us to be forgiven, to receive grace, and then to step forward into his purposes. And so as he shows that to you, I want to ask you to allow him to deal with it. And there's a lot of ways that he may do that. For some of you, that is something that he just wants to do individually with you, and that's totally fine. But for most, it's going to involve you speaking that to someone else, someone that can pray over you and be part of your journey. And, and I know that's true because of the painful part of the story. That's hard to do. I know it's hard to do. I feel it. It's hard to do. But by stepping forward and saying to someone, here's what's holding me back, and hearing them speak the grace of Jesus over your life, we're able to internalize that and move forward to to step into the purpose that he has for us. And so for some of you, the invitation is going to be not just to identify that thing, but to to step forward maybe to someone around you or uh, here at an altar and uh, receive the grace of Jesus. But first, I I want to ask us to be willing to listen, to do the hard work of listening to the Spirit. And so would you just move stuff out of the way, close your eyes, and in the silence, I want to just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Holy Spirit, would you come now and where there are things that are holding us back, maybe from this week, maybe from the last month or two, or maybe from years past, where there are things that are holding us back, God, would you, through grace, identify those things in our lives so that we would be freed? you point those realities out to us. Help us to bring them to the surface. And so speak, Holy Spirit.
Jesus, my sense is for some of us, there are events that we have actively been involved in, decisions that we've made and things that we've done. And so in those instances, God, would you meet us with the painful grace that points those things out in our hearts and invites us into confession and repentance. But I also have a sense that there's some of us who are wrestling with things done to us, things that we've only taken part in by our presence. And God, you, you, the deep desire of your heart is to remove that weight from us and to give us what you called a, an easy burden, a, a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. And so God, would you give us the grace to bring those things, to not be held back by them? I'm going to invite the worship team to come and they're going to lead us in a response time. And as they do, I just want to ask you to continue in a mode of prayer, listening. And ask the Holy Spirit very simply, how am I supposed to respond to this? What do you want me to do? And there's some of you who I just said that to, and your response is, I know that I'm called to pray freedom over other people. I, I just have the sense that God's inviting me into the chain-breaking work of the Spirit this morning. And so if that's where you are, I want to ask you to be ready to do that, because I believe that there will be those who need you to pray that, whether right here or in the time afterwards. There's some of you that said immediately, what I'm supposed to do is to deal with this. Somebody I need to contact. There's uh, some journaling that I need to do. There's some processing that needs to happen. But I really believe not because I'm afraid of it or because I, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about having a conversation. I really believe this is between me and the Lord. And if that's where you are, I want to give you freedom to do that. But there's some of you that if you're honest in your heart of hearts, you know that in order to really step into this, I need to be honest with somebody else. I need to bring this out into the light and I need to hear the words of Jesus spoken through a brother or sister that expresses the grace of Jesus to me. And so if that's where you are, I'm going to invite you to respond in that way as well. And so Jesus, would you meet us right where we are in all the different places that we are as we come? Speak to our hearts and help us to be people who are freed to do what you have called us to do. To step into the good work that you've commissioned us to. And so lead us, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.